Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Halloween week. I love it. I know everybody probably celebrated on Saturday, but a lot of people are... Uh, Going to probably have some Thursday night parties as well, and certainly during the day, trick-or-treating. I hope you have a blast with your kids. Uh, don't soap up windows if you're uh, one of the teenagers that feel like you're in your rowdy years and stuff like that. Be mindful of your neighbors. Be nice. You know, make an effort. Halloween's a blast, and I don't understand the people that don't like the fact that adults still celebrate it. It's fun. Uh, questions or comments about the show, reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. Best to reach me there, not private messages on Facebook or Twitter. That's the place to reach me if you want me to critique your book or if you have questions or comments about the show, john at warballoon.com. Thanks a lot for listening through the commercials. I greatly appreciate it. There's one more spot left, and then we will get to the show. But as always, thank you for your attention and patronage. We'll be back after this last spot. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Wow. Uh, really happy to close out Halloween uh, week with uh, another weird balloon. And this is a look back at my conversation with Dana Gould, uh, a wonderful alt comedian. Uh, Dana has a lot of weird Halloween-related projects that he's worked on over the years, um, whether it's his IFC show, Stan vs. Evil, three great seasons, tremendous horror comedy that obviously honored uh, the 70s horror films. We talk about that in this conversation. It was a great opportunity to talk to Dana because uh, he has that. He's always doing live performances of uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space with a bunch of his comedian friends all over L.A. He's also done it in New York. He hasn't brought it to Chicago yet. I'm hoping he will. Uh, and also, I hope to be in a town where I see him perform that live because, again, he's such a fan. And, uh, of course, uh, the main focus of today, Dana Gould's love of Planet of the Apes, which, of course, means that we're going to have uh, another edition of Ape Talk. Uh, I'm letting my original uh, intro uh, describe Dana's love of apes uh, because he's a lifelong fan, just like me, grew up on the movies, saw them in the theaters, uh, saw them on television, experienced the Roddy McDowell television series when it came out literally on the heels of the fifth Battle for Planet of the Apes film. Um, he has his own Dr. Zayas outfit and uh, performs live and does Q&As as Dr. Zayas, so we talk about that. Um, he's hilarious, and he's such a, a Planet of the Apes devotee, and uh, man, what a great opportunity he got last year when Boom Studios was smart and tapped him to adapt Rod Serling's original screenplay of Planet of the Apes 
into a graphic novel with Chad Lewis. It was a terrific book. Uh, it was a very uh, great production. Boom has been a wonderful keeper of Planet of the Apes, creating new stuff, putting out the old Marvel stuff as well. And, uh, you know, it's it's been wonderful. So uh, we're going to be talking to Dana Gould about uh, Planet of the Apes and uh, the adaptation of Serling's thing, and then really just get into his comedy as well. Uh, just uh, really one of my favorites. And a great podcaster as well. The Dana Gould Hour pops up about every month. If he gets busy uh, with uh, TV or film stuff, he, you know, or, man, the poor guy had a, a serious car accident. He and Bobcat Goldwaith, and uh, they, they certainly survived, and they're okay. But it could have been really horrible. And thank God it wasn't, but it definitely set him back a month or two. But he has a brand new podcast out for Halloween, the Dana Gould Hour. Look for it on uh, your podcast stuff. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy the deep dives that you hear at Word Balloon, I think you're going to really enjoy listening to Dana because he's such a film fan and television fan and music fan, and he always has interesting interviews on his own podcast. So Dana Gould talking about Planet of the Apes on today's Word Balloon. All brought to you by Aftershock Comics. A great month that uh, Aftershock has been having in October. Almost sounds like uh, Yoda saying, a great month Aftershock has had this month. But it's true. Uh, unbelievable stuff. And uh, we closed out yesterday with things like uh, Jimmy's Bastards, the complete collection came out. Uh, you've got Marguerite Bennett's wonderful graphic novel, Horde. There's Dark Arc After the Flood, number one. Colin Bunn and Juan Doe are back with a new arc about what happened to Noah after the flood, as it's called. Uh, you've got Dark Red number seven from Tim Seeley, Juan Doe's own Bad Reception, and uh, of course uh, Garth Ennis's A Walk Through Hell Volume Two with Gordon Suzuka, The Cathedral, continuing the Walk Through Hell saga. Great stuff. The Collected Last Space Race, Killer Groove wrapped up. Uh, Ollie Masters and Owen Marin's uh, wonderful L.A. crime series about the music business. Cullen Bunn's Knights Temporal. Uh, the first volume of Stronghold from uh, Phil Hester and Ryan Kelly, among the great books from Aftershock Comics. Don't take my word for it. Go to their website. You will find amazing books, full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on how to order these through your local shop at aftershockcomics.com. All right, without further ado, let me give you my uh, full-throated introduction to uh, Dana Gould from the beginning of uh, 2018 when we had this conversation. I'm happy to represent it now for uh, Halloween and Weird Balloon on today's episode. I can't believe it. It's been years, but uh, let's kick in the music because it's time for a rare opportunity for an episode of Ape Talk. That's right, Planet of the Apes. Uh, very excited about today's guest. Dana Gould, the wonderful comedian who is the host of the Dana Gould Hour, the podcast that I listen to every month when a new episode comes out. Uh, also the creator of Stand Against Evil on IFC. They are in the midst of planning season three, and we talked a little bit about that on the podcast. Our primary reason to talk to Dana, though, today is about Planet of the Apes. Dana's a longtime fan and has a rare opportunity to contribute to the Apes mythos. You might know that uh, if you're a huge Planet of the Apes fan, of the, especially of the original movie, Rod Serling is credited for the original screenplay, adapting Pierre Boulez's original novel. The screenplay that Serling originally wrote is very different from what we got in the film in 1968 with Charlton Heston. We talked about the differences. There's a YouTube video that you can find that was created for 20th Century Fox by Arthur P. Jacobs, Charlton Heston, and Edward G. Robinson to kind of explain what they were trying to do with the movie, that the makeup would work, 
and uh, we get a glimpse of the original Serling screenplay, which is vastly different. The lead character is named Thomas, not Taylor, something that Dana brings up. And I'll let Dana get into the details, but uh, it's a good way to illustrate what is to come from Boone Studios, because Dana is getting the opportunity to adapt the original Serling screenplay into a graphic novel for Boom Studios. Dana Gould is doing the comic book scripting, and Chad Lewis is doing the art. You might remember Chad from uh, some great work on the Avengers for Marvel. It looks amazing, the promo piece that they have already submitted. And again, I know uh, Gould's love for the Planet of the Apes. He talks a lot about it on his podcast. And Dana is the kind of fan of Planet of the Apes that many of us are regarding Star Wars or Star Trek. Well, Apes was uh, Dana's franchise, and it's a great opportunity to talk to him about his love for the project and the uh, franchise and uh, his own participation in some various comedy bits over the years, not only on his podcast, but again, we'll get into it on the conversation. Really nice to uh, have the opportunity to talk to Dana Gould on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your wonderful support. Thank you via Patreon for subscribing to Word Balloon and keeping the lights on and everything running here. Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But if you like what I do here, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. But I thank you every week because I mean it. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Well, this is a real treat for me because I'm a longtime Dana Gould fan. He was a writer for The Simpsons for many years. He, as we briefly discussed, was part of the Ben Stiller show and doing sketch writing for them. Uh, a real important voice in the world of alternative comedy and uh, a huge Planet of the Apes fan. So without further ado, very excited to present to you my conversation with comedian Dana Gould about one of our favorite subjects, Planet of the Apes, the new adaptation of Rod Serling's original screenplay. It will be a boom graphic novel later this year. Let's get into our conversation with Dana Gould now on Word Balloon. Dana Gould, welcome to Word Balloon. This is a real thrill for me, sir. I'm uh, I'm a longtime fan of the podcast, of your stand-up, Stand Against Evil. So uh, congratulations on the career trajectory and where it's going, and uh, really excited <laughs> about this Apes project. Yeah, thank you. I I um, harder to hit a moving target. That's why I keep wor- <laughs> I keep working. Anything that keeps me out of my head is a positive. That's how I look at it. That's interesting because it seems like uh, you're getting to do a lot of the projects that are probably dream jobs, and I want to hit on those. But the That's absolutely true, by the way. <laughs> you know, uh, not for lack of trying, but I'm very grateful for the opportunities. Well, and this opportunity that's coming up with Boom, adapt a graphic novel based on uh, Rod Serling's original screenplay for Planet of the Apes, which... Uh, Crazy. Uh, yeah, diehard ape fans know did change a lot from what we got in the uh, in the 68 Charlton Heston movie. Yeah, it's very, very different. And, you know, I was aware of it from, you know, obviously seeing the, the credits on the film. I knew he was involved in it. And it plays like a giant Twilight Zone episode. I mean, Definitely. his his fingerprints are all over that movie. And then I remember when I was a kid getting uh, the first issue of Marvel's Planet of the Apes magazine. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I <laughs> later uh, later went out and bought a full run of, thanks to e- thanks eBay. Um, <laughs> but Greg Nicotero has a full run of famous monsters, so he completely shames me. I understand. Um, 
But he's got walking dead money. I'm just got stand against evil money. Those are two very different things, I can assure you. Um, <laughs> that walking dead money is getting silly. Uh, but he wrote – there was an interview with Rod Serling in the first issue of uh, Marvel's Planet of the Apes magazine. And he talked about – I remember it. And I even remember the quote. It said the, the the structure of the piece was mine. The trajectory of the piece was still mine, but it was it was rewritten for um, budget and, and and things like that. You know, obviously, sure. as people may or may not know, the original book written by Pierre Boulle, uh, it, it's basically Gulliver's Travels. It's it's a satire of uh, of the humanity's foibles. It's not science fiction. The explanation for man losing his preeminence uh, is that he did not use his intelligence. And so his intelligence withered and left him. You know, it's a very it's a very poetic. uh, Non-science fiction, you know, there's no simian flu. Right. (laughs) That's right. Um, Okay. Right. Yeah. It's a a very sort of poetic. uh, satirical reason um rod serling took that uh and 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 the city and and they lived in a modern city they had helicopters and you know uh um it was very much gulliver's travels pierre boule did not consider it uh, a major work uh he considered it uh, one of his sort of side things okay yeah didn't consider it a major work um the screenplay of Planet of the Apes that Rod Serling wrote, the first draft is dated from uh, December 64, and then there's a rewrite in March of 65. Being a writer myself, I'm always suspicious of anything dated in December because what that tells me is you put it off and you're just frantically trying to finish before the holidays. <laughs> So I, I'm working mostly off the March version. Um, okay. Interesting. Uh, they're, okay. they're, they're, not, they're not very different. but um, They are very different, you say? No, they're not. They're oh, okay. Not. I see. Um, it, it's long. It's 140 pages. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's long. And, uh, but to me, what struck me as the main change, in, it, outside of the fact that they do live in a modern city. Uh, they have helicopters and cars, and 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 Rod has things that aren't in the book. Uh, they cross the street on monkey bars and things like that. There's a lot of, <laughs> you know, it would have cost a trillion dollars uh, to make. Um, but it's really once we establish that Taylor, who is called Thomas and was called Thomas, right up until just before shooting. Um, I, I, I think it's only in the shooting draft his name changes to Taylor. Um, uh, he's not the he's t- uh, Thomas in the Serling draft is not the Charlton Heston character. Uh, Charlton Heston character. What's what makes that movie really fascinating? One of the many many things is he's a misanthrope. Uh, Taylor hates humanity mm-hmm. and has to defend it, which is a great role to play. And uh, I think that uh, – I actually think that Charlton Heston uh, did an amazing job in that 
role. Yes. Um, he, he, you need a larger than life character to carry that film. And if you don't believe me, look at the one that came out with Mark Wahlberg. Um, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, you need, you need somebody to carry that film, and he and he does uh, quite ably. Um, so in this draft, Thomas, and this is what I'm doing in the novel. I really want to show you the other version. Um, Thomas is a very down the middle, mid '60s Rod Serling liberal. Uh, you know, like any hero from any episode of The Twilight Zone, he was a, you know, he's a sensitive guy. He's a uh, open-minded guy. Uh, um, he's he is not the asshole that Taylor is. Sure. <laughs> and, and Taylor is a flaming asshole. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that line in, uh, in the movie when he's talking to Landon and he says – your loved ones are dead and forgotten for 20 centuries. 20 centuries. Even if you could get back, they'd think you were something that fell out of a tree. I was like, aren't you in charge of morale? <laughs> <laughs> you're, the, you're the captain. <laughs> It'd be like on Star Trek. Sir, we're surrounded by Klingons. Good, we deserve to die. <laughs> so Thomas, as in the script and in, in the novel, uh, the graphic novel, is a very different character than Taylor. And what happens is once he speaks, it is a political thriller. It's not what you know as Planet of the Apes. It, it, it feels a lot more like Seven Days in May. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> Me too. And it feels a lot more like Seven Days in May than Planet of the Apes. Basically, Thomas represents something that this culture wants to keep secret. He has allies in the culture, but the power structure is uh, against it. And it's a lot of conference rooms, lecture halls, meetings and offices. It's very much a political thriller. And I was really excited to be able to, uh, to put that into, uh, uh, to translate that. Uh, it's a really fascinating approach that you don't, um, uh, that uh, it never occurred to me that you could tell this story that way. Um, That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't like having to wake up in the morning and figure out what lines of Rod Serling's I'm going to cut. But <laughs> if I used everything, it would be, you know, the size of the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> you know, so you have to, you have to work to the medium that you're in. True. And, and is this your first graphic novel? Comedy. It is, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, where do where do you go to learn how to write in this form versus screenplay or you know yeah, stand up and, and the other things you write? Um, yeah, well, Daphna and uh, Gavin at Boom Comics were, mm -hmm. were really uh, great uh, in terms of they kind of gave. I went to school a little bit with sure. them to to figure out how to do it, and then after the first. Uh, batch of pages, uh, they were very good about like, this is, uh, this is good. This is bad. This is good. This is bad. Okay. And, uh, I went back and, uh, was able to do it. It's, it's, there's a lot of just mechanical things in terms of, you know, a two page spread has to start on and, you know, even to odd, not an odd to even just publishing things. I wouldn't know. Certainly. And, um, 
uh, and just being able to economize. You get one piece of action per frame. You know, there's right. no like he comes over and then he nope. <laughs> you know, so you have to tell a story with a great deal of economy. Um, but I'm used to that having worked in a half hour format and, you know, S- S- The Simpsons and Stand Against Evil and all the other shows I've worked on, Parks and Rec and what have you. Sure. Um, you know, you, you have to tell stories with with a lot of economy. And, you know, I'm developing a show right now. Uh, hopefully that'll become a show. And the original version of it was an hour long. And I really felt after we, you know, got it ready to pitch, I was like, I'd really rather pitch this as a half an hour. Uh, And I went back and changed it. And basically, you know, if it's an hour show, it's about the situation depicted. And if it's a half hour show, it's about the characters. That's how I would phrase it. And I sort of changed the focus completely onto the characters and it felt uh, much more comfortable to me. I like telling a big story with a small scope and that lent itself very uh, adroitly to uh, the graphic novel. Uh, it, it's sort of the same uh, muscles that you use, just being very economical with how you tell a story. I was uh, listening to your most recent podcast and I heard you, I think it was the most recent one, where you mentioned that uh, you've taken a lot of writing cues from listening to old time radio and especially yeah. a show Dragnet. like Dra- yeah, Dragnet. Yeah. And I love that yeah. because again, man, I'm with you. I love old time radio and I really think Dragnet and the radio Gunsmoke in particular are like such great <laughs> yeah. shows. But like I just said, I, lean, just hear, yeah. I hear William Conrad and I just imagine him lumbering down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like radio Spencer Tracy. Cause yes, he is he's so powerful. Everything that and that guy, Robert Daner, who was, Paladin, they're on everything. <laughs> they got those great voices, those booming yeah. voices, and you know, yeah. Well, I, I think you know some some rerun fans might know Jake and the Fat Man, and certainly can. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I know you're a Meat TV watcher as well. Yeah. So. Do you know the old joke about Jake and the Fat Man? Please. <laughs> uh, so I forget who it was. It was a really funny comedian that I worked with in the '80s, and it was a who. How do you want to be Robert Conrad's agent? Hey, Robert, there's a new show coming out. It's called Jake and the Fat Man. You're not Jake. <laughs> I was bummed. I heard uh, um, Brian Cranston say that he, you know, it had a role on Jake and the Fat Man, and it was so disappointing because like Conrad wouldn't be there for him to like do lines and stuff, and you know, oh, yeah. to, like, deal with a stand-in, and that Conrad That's... at that point was just cashing a check and not really giving a damn anymore. Uh, yeah, that happens a lot. You go, yeah, I know, I know, like on Matlock. Uh, that you know, you'd shoot out Mr. Griffith so he could go home. He's, it gets down to a science. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to the apes. There's that great screen test that I guess was kind of a proof of concept. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, with uh, Edward G. Robinson. Yes, which is so interesting and uh, a great what if casting had he been, yeah. you know, able to, you know, deal with the makeup and do the role. When's the first time you saw that footage? I saw it on the DVD. Yeah, I guess that was the first time I saw it, or I saw a, a clip of it somewhere. But yeah, it was when I saw the. I'd, I'd read about it, obviously. Like, it, it, it's hard for me to articulate uh, just uh, you know how inundated I am with information about you know this. I mean, for whatever reason, these films meant so much to me as a kid. Like, I really 
focused on them. You know, it, you know, I, you, you know, there's a, one or two things that you'd never know it to come in my house. I don't like live in the, you know, (laughs) it's not like, I'm not like a Star Trek fan whose living room looks like the bridge. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it it meant so much to me. And, you know, I was reading famous monsters as a kid and Starlog and, and planet of the apes magazine. And, you know, I was aware of it. I knew about it. And, and it's so funny because, you know, planet of the apes magazine, or famous monsters like you know they'd have an interview they like I was 13 years old and I knew who Dick Zanuck was sure. <laughs> <laughs> the guy running Fox uh, yeah, the guy running yeah. Fox. he was married to Nova yes indeed. Um, Linda, yeah Linda Hamilton absolutely uh, uh, Harrison Linda Hamilton oh, was in yeah that's a count. That, oh, that's right. Linda Hamilton is Terminator Linda Hamilton right, yeah. is Nova shame on me very yeah. good also also married to James Cameron at the time I believe um, <laughs> but uh and I'm going to see. I'm going to uh, be with Lisa Harrison this Friday. Oddly, um, oh, are you going to a convention? No, it's a very strange thing. When, when does this drop? Probably next week. Oh, good. Then I can I can spoil it. Um, USC is having a 50th anniversary screening of the film, and they're having like a month long thing. They have a lot of stuff from the archives, and uh, and they're doing a giant panel. They're showing the film. And, it, and, and there's a lot of stuff going on over the course of the month. Wow. But they're showing the film, and then they're having a panel with um, oh, the surviving people, Lin, uh, Linda Harrison, uh, Dan Strepek, the makeup uh, artist, Bill Krieber, who was the art director, um, uh, Matt Reeves, who directed Rise, uh, Dawn and War for the Planet of the Apes, his producer, his co-writer, uh, this giant uh, thing. And then... Uh, one of my bizarre side careers that I've developed over the years is I, I've uh, do, per- <laughs> I do personal. I do. I will appear as Doctor Zayas if you need Doctor Zayas. <laughs> I'm aware, absolutely, man. I okay. loved your yeah, interview. I, I, yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it's 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 an idea I wrote years ago uh, in 1992. Uh, I was a writer on the Ben Stiller show on sure. Fox. Yeah, great show. And, uh, and uh, we, I had an idea. Um, it was to do, uh, a, a, you know, the commercials for play. You know, like you'll see a, if Hamilton comes to your town, they have the commercial for Hamilton. Sure. Uh, and it's just clips of uh, the musical. And I wanted to do a commercial for coming to town, Planet of the Apes, the musical. This was before The Simpsons did it. <laughs> and then and the second act of the show, there would be from the producers of Planet of the Apes, the musical, Hal Holbrook is Dr. Zayas as Mark Twain tonight. <laughs> and it was Dr. Zayas dressed as Mark Twain doing Mark Twain tonight. <laughs> and we we got canceled before we got a chance to do it. And uh, the idea of Planet of the Apes, the musical uh, ended up at The Simpsons. Um, I think it was two people having the same idea at the same time. Uh, and they did a much better job than I would have done it. Uh, they, you know, um, I could not. Yes. Yeah. A chimpanzee to chimpanzee. <laughs> I tip my hat. Absolutely. I believe those, I believe those were mostly written by David Cohen. I might, I could be wrong. Okay. Wow. Could be wrong. Uh, David Cohen who developed Futurama. Sure. Uh, yes. Yes. So I ended up doing this years later for John Hodgman. Uh, and it's on YouTube if you want to see it. It's uh, if you just go on YouTube and go Dana Gould, Doctor Zayas, Mark Twain, it'll come up. And then 
from that, uh, I did that. And then Joel, ha- and then that was like a one-off and it worked great because I'm friends with, as I mentioned his name before, I'm friends with Greg Nicotero uh, from KNBFX. And so I just basically called Greg and I said, you know, hey, Greg, can can one of the guys over there do a, a Dr. Zayas makeup on me? I was like, sure. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, <was> like, no <laughs> problem. <laughs> Andy Schoenberg uh, has the, the makeup and the suit. I was like, great. He's hired. Um, and so then that happened. And then when Joel Hodgson was doing uh, the new Mystery Science Theater, uh, he was doing a telethon, a crowdfunding telethon. Yes. And uh, he said, hey, could you do it? Could you do Dr. Zayas again for the telethon? I was like, sure. And then uh, my friend was doing a, a Christmas show at uh, a theater here with Paul Williams. And he wanted to know if I would come out and sing as Zayas and sing a song with Paul Williams, who was in Battle for the Planet. And then I ended up on TCM when they did uh, uh, Planet of the Apes as part of their summer series. I, they uh, Ben Mankiewicz interviewed me, so it just turned into this bizarre side career. And I, I do it funny. I, you know, I, I play him like an old Hollywood name dropper. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's just I wouldn't do it straight, but he's like, oh, yeah. you know, don't play cards with Alan Alda, you know, just stuff like that. <laughs> or yeah, funny story about Chuck on the set. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's that kind of stuff, and what I and. <laughs> And so when and so that we're going to and so when USC was doing this thing, they said, would you want to come out? Would you could you do it? And I was very like, I will do it. You know, if everybody knows I'm doing it, I don't want anybody s- surprised in a bad way. Sure. And, you know, they know that I'm not a lunatic and da 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 da. So <laughs> so this Friday I will be hanging out with uh, Nova and Dr. Zayas makeup should be fun. That's excellent, man. <laughs> wow. And the guy, um, and I for the, and I'm hoping that you'll remember the actor's name. But one I, of the I, mutants, I <laughs> one of the mutants from Beneath, uh, Don Don Pedro. Am I? Yeah, Don Pedro Colley. There we go. Yes. Yeah. You know he's come through town. I'm kicking myself, man. You were in Chicago uh, back in the fall, and I know, or or I, late winter or whatever, and I know you had Sven Gulli on stage. And, yes. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I wasn't able to see your shows then, but. Uh, Linda and uh, and Don Pedro came to an autograph show a couple oh, of years wow. ago. One of my uh, cartoonist buddies, Art Baltazar, is a huge Apes fan as well, and was over the moon to get to meet you know Nova and right, uh, yeah, sure. Pedro. So yeah, it's uh, no, that's that's excellent. And yeah, I saw the Ben Mankiewicz uh, portrayal that you did. Talking to Paul <laughs> Williams though, I've seen that great YouTube clip where he showed up while they were shooting Battle. And, yeah, on the Tonight Show. Yeah, and he sings the song in uh, full. Uh, yeah. uh, Julius, not Julius. What's his name? Uh, Virgil. Virgil. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, man, and no, that's all <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was really. Yeah, no, he was, and he was, uh, he was, he was great when I. Uh, um, uh, I think it's a, a a testament to where he was at the time when I we were talking, and um, battle was filmed in. Uh, early 1973 and Paul was a much younger man, probably a little bit more adventurous in his habits. And I said to him, uh, I said, God, it must be impossible to have a cold when you're in make this makeup. And he said, it's impossible to do a lot of things that involve your nose. (laughs) 
I've seen the documentary, so I know what you're yeah. talking about. Which, by yeah, the way, for really... listeners, you should totally see that Paul Williams documentary. It's a fascinating story, and is not a, he's not ashamed to talk about his cocaine problem from uh, for years, for decades, really. And I'm really yeah. glad he's cleaned up. And this is an he's an incredible guy, man. I mean, it's easy to like laugh off Paul Williams, but when you really step back and see the body of work, plus the music. I mean, you know, we see him on, you know, people might see him in the Smokey and the Bandit movies or the Odd Couple reruns or whatever, and it's like, yeah, whatever. And it's like, nah, nah, no, nah, Phantom of Paradise, I know, isn't it, right? Is that the, the title? Yeah, Phantom of the Paradise, sure. Yeah, man, no, I, again, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I think we're around the same age, and I, I'm pretty sure we were reading the same magazines and watching the same movies. <laughs> I'm sure we were. So, yeah, definitely, man. No, and I'm, and again, that's a great thing, man. You're such an Uber fan. And I, and it's amazing how it has intersected with your life. Again, listening to the podcast for a while, weren't you living in Roddy McDowell's home? Uh, yes, I was living in uh, Roddy McDowell, and my uh, my ex wife and my kids still live there. I was there this morning. Okay, all right. <laughs> and the text that I just got that you might have heard was uh, <laughs> me being told that my daughter's cat is currently on the roof of Roddy McDowell's old house. <laughs> Um, and yeah, we still get mail for him occasionally. We'll, we'll get like a United Airlines mileage thing or something. <laughs> Did you have the lawgiver statue for a while as well? Um, I I had a copy of the bust, uh, the the bust from the courtroom. Okay, uh, sure. The, wow. The original. Uh, the original is. I think there were two originals. Um, one of them, the one that I know of, is owned by a guy named Brian Peck. And he bought it at the Sammy Davis Jr. estate sale. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Sammy, Arthur P. Jacobs and Sammy were friends. He gave it to Sammy because Sammy loved the movie. Uh, and uh, it was in Sammy's backyard by his pool. It was painted white. And uh, Brian refurbished it. And then uh, – and then uh, – uh, yeah, and Greg Nicotero has the mold of the of the has a mold of it. Yeah. Wow, wow! You can get one if you need one. And weren't you also <laughs> John Chambers' neighbor? No, I was Dan Strepeck's neighbor. Excuse me. Okay, and that's as you said earlier. He well, wanted to make it on Friday, but I doubt he'll remember me. Um, uh, yeah, he and uh, yeah, I, and I didn't know I was his neighbor until I literally met him at like a neighborhood meeting, like a like a parking meeting or something, sure. and I was like. You're Dan Streepeck. He's like, yeah, I am. I was like, I know you. <laughs> That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it was very bizarre. And then he ended up like it was a knock on my door like a week later, and he gave me uh, a chimpanzee extras mask. I was like, here, you might want this. Outstanding. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, really. You don't. Yeah, you don't have one of those like wig uh, kind of mannequin things that you can obviously slap yeah. it on. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I, I ended up. Yeah. Oh, it's it's. It's well protected now. That's actually, I love the idea of Sammy having a barbecue and yeah, let's set up those yeah. hamburgers right by the lawgiver. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. If you want potato salad, man, it's by the lawgiver. <laughs> That's outstanding. And again, your, fa your, your love of the movies. Well, let's, you know, honestly, you keep mentioning the Marvel magazines and I'm really glad you do because those were incredible. And boom, reprinted those in the last couple of years and put them in nice deluxe hardcover editions and, they you did? <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, you know, Doug, Doug Munch. Why did they tell me this? Oh, man. Yeah, I was going to say, I was wondering if, um, because, you know, they have the license now. And, you know, all the stuff that's ever made for this stuff, like all the Conan stuff, stays with the Robert Howard estate. And Marvel, you know, did the 70s Conan 
comics and magazines. And, you know, for a while, Dark Horse had the uh, license. So right. all that stuff, Dark Horse has the right to reprint it. And they usually are able to get that old stuff and, and do it. Same thing happened with the Marvel Star Wars stuff when it was at Dark Horse for a while. And uh, so, yeah, boom, you know, having having the ape license and everything, they've got the access to all those oh, great yeah, black and white comics. And as I'm sure you remember, good Lord, I mean, like for Escape of the Planet of the Apes, you get that scene of Zeus and, uh, or rather Zira and Cornelius yeah, and, and Dr. Milo and leaving the, the planet. Yeah. yeah. A bit of a stretch, logically. <laughs> <laughs> but comics, it's okay. I kind of, yeah, them actually figuring out how to uh, run the sh- spaceship. Oh, please. <laughs> Have you read those uh, Andrew It's Gaska? a little wet, but I'm sure we'll be fine. <laughs> have you read the Andrew Gaska novels that have come out in the last couple of years? Because- no, they are in my pile, my, my bottomless pile of stuff that I hope to read. Really but I have fun. to wait until I'm sick. Because yeah. that's the only time I ever read it. Uh, believe me, I understand. They're really, really fun, and I and I'm really, I was really impressed. I've actually had him on the podcast a couple times as well. And uh, again, yeah, he stitch he he uh, gives us great backstory before the first movie, and you get you know Taylor and Landon, and um, I think mostly it focuses on Taylor and Landon. Forgive me, I'm, uh, Dodge, right? Isn't Dodge the third? Yeah, one? yeah. You get kind of their backstories before the mission. And it's really, oh, wow. yeah, it's really interesting. I don't want to tip anything, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, I, I get, which I one get, is that, and which one is that one? Is that archives or, um, no, I can't remember the titles, but they were, you know, they've got kind of movie ish titles and everything. But yeah, Andrew Gaska is the, the author and he's written two eight books that, that do stitch together, um, like I said, the backstory of the 68 movie and then also, pretty sure it's in the second novel that explains how the apes dredge up uh the rocket or the you know the yeah Uh and and how and and kind of explains how they figure out the technology to that my i mean that that is truly it was a brilliant brilliant play on his part it really was um Oh, it was a conspiracy on the planet. That's of the right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yes, I do ha- I, and I do have it. Yeah. There you go, man. No, it's um, great stuff. Yeah, and it, it's. I mean, it's really uh, amazing how he, uh, Paul Dane, uh, came up with that. It's it's breathtaking. It's so clever. Uh, well, the tones I, of the movies too are so amazing. And and again, I, I know I'm talking to the right guy about this because. First of all, your essay on your podcast about Beneath the Planet of the Apes is hilarious. And they should (laughs) include it pretty much on the DVDs moving forward because you really have to step back and go, who greenlit this movie that is ridiculously depressing? (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) It's like, and and, and I do believe that it was Heston's idea. Like, I'll do it, but I'm going to kill everybody. Sure thing, Chuck. <laughs> Whatever you want, buddy. And and again in those in that documentary that is part of like the box set now, and I'm sure anytime you buy yeah. it, the apes that Roddy McDowell narrates, it's really cool yeah. because it does come through that Heston was such a champion of the yes. you know, the initial thing really pushed it through and would not have gotten made without him at all. Yeah, which is awesome. And I know you had and again, uh based on your podcast, you talk about that great moment when you got to meet him on Politically Incorrect Bill Maher's yep. 90s show. And there's not a frame of film where we're 
we are not in a two shot ever. Crazy. I just wanted, I know, I just wanted one, like, still frame sure. of us, like, because I did shake his hand when he came out. It's not, it's not, didn't make the cut. Uh, yeah. Bummer, really man. No, I understand. I Believe me, as a broadcaster, yes, the people that you get to meet, and when you get to meet your heroes, and you do yeah. want something to preserve that moment. Of course, you've got that great autograph picture from Apes that he I, I do, yeah. And I also have, uh, you know, I have a lot of sort of, a lot of friends of mine wrote on Saturday Night Live when he hosted, and there's a lot of, oh, that's there's cool. a lot of great, <laughs> the, the funniest story was the first time he hosted, and they were doing a rehearsal, and Chris Farley was... Uh, either playing an ape or a human, and he was in a cage, and he was miming, masturbating the way apes will. <laughs> and my friend said, and then we just heard this booming voice from across the soundstage, Chris Farley, knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Man. And again, yeah. there's a guy that we only know, or the younger people might only know uh, near the end of his life and career, yeah. the NRA guy. Yep. The guy in the Michael uh, Moore movie. Yeah. That unfortunately. Was, that's, that's a shame, too, because, you you know, I don't agree with his politics, but he was of that generation was like, yeah, we have our politics, but it's not our life. It's our politics. Yep. That's gone away, unfortunately. Amen. Uh, Absolutely. You, I can tell you, you know, I've, I've said this before, so I'm not, you know, like this is no great bulletin. I'm obviously a big Hollywood liberal. You know, Charlton Heston was one of the nicest people I've ever met, and Michael Moore was one of the most annoying people I've ever met. So there you go. Sure, <laughs> you sure, know? absolutely. Man. Well, and again, you're right, yeah. and and also, uh, uh, you know, we're and I'm definitely on Michael Moore's side politically. Oh, hey man, but, I, and you know, I'm a liberal as well, and and I yeah. don't mind using the phrase liberal anymore, and that's kind yeah, of falling no, I, out of fashion. Um, yeah. But no, you're right. And and the cool thing about Heston was he was a complicated guy because he was a conservative, but marched with King, Martin Luther King, and supported civil yeah, no, rights. He and, he you was know. A, yeah, I think he was – it was a different – again, it was a different era where you could be a social liberal and a political conservative. Agreed. You know, yes. Uh, you know, he – the Omega Man – Yes. Uh, it had an interracial love interest at its heart. That was not common in the early 70s. Damn straight. Uh, yeah. Especially with a big with a big movie star. And he was like, no, this is the story. Let's do it. You know, absolutely, man. And, I, and truly those movies, the ape movies and Soylent Green and Omega Man, it's like, you know, at, at a very interesting point in his career, Charlton Heston is really kind of leading the science fiction front yeah. with some pretty yeah, amazing movies. Before before Star Wars, it's, it was like yes. basically everything up until like Logan's Logan's Run, which was sort of like the salad to the main course of Star Wars. Um, uh, uh, it was Charlton Heston. Yeah, it was, it was Charlton Heston. No, totally yeah. agree, man. And uh, yeah, pretty pretty amazing body of stuff. And uh, yeah, I and a, a really uh, an interesting guy. But as as we were saying earlier, yeah, spearheaded them thing, and and you can see the uh, proof of concept film they put together for Planet of the Apes. It's on YouTube. You don't need to buy the box set if you don't want to. But, of course, we have recommended it because they're amazing. Right. All five of them are amazing movies. And that's why I started to say, like, uh, I love Escape because Escape really does start as this weird, almost wacky, like, com comedy. Yeah, Escape, escape is, yeah, as, as I've said, uh, the original Planet of the Apes is basically uh, a giant episode of Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. 
And Escape from the Planet of the Apes is basically a giant version of Love American style. <laughs> <laughs> until until the end when someone said, I have an idea. Let's shoot a baby. <laughs> it's true. It gets it gets so funny. And then I mean it's like they're on the run and it gets ridiculously dark. Yeah. But it's a great Again, man, you know, and, and I know, again, you lived through those ape marathons at the drive-ins and uh, theaters. Yeah, I, 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 Escape was the first one I saw at the movies. Uh, I saw it at the drive-in when wow. I was a kid, yeah. That's great. That's great. I, You know, um, I, I had a – my parents had a friend who uh, worked at a film distributor and we saw at their home – uh, the original Planet of the Apes, I want to say like in 70 or 71. But for me, it was oh, all, wow. whenever the CBS movies, whenever they would show them on CBS, and CBS seemed to have the license, and of course had the, the TV series subsequently as well. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, that's I, I pretty much saw them uh, first there, and then finally in the drive-in on those marathons and stuff. And I was going to say, yeah, Escape is, you know, it ends you so... good parents if they kept you on a whole marathon <laughs> of the drive-in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then of course... You know, uh, Conquest is as interesting and dark as it gets. And then Battle is this great Disney movie. Yeah, Battle is basically a Disney movie. Conquest is the is the is the really interesting one. Sure. Because it's once you've seen once you have seen the first cut, uh, you, you can't go back. You know, you you. Uh, you can't go back to the the studio released version. So I know, you've seen, I know there's the alternate uh, ending. How the much? bloody horrible. But yeah, the alternate ending. Okay, because yeah, is there is there more difference than just the alternate ending with the original cut? Um, it well, just the 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 battle is bloodier. There's there's a couple of other scenes. Okay, but uh, tonally it doesn't. You know, it, it continues. Just the 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 endings of these movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone is more bleak than the one before. Um, it's truly, truly amazing. And uh, have, uh, I was going yeah. to ask, have you done? Because again, I know you did the essay for Beneath. I can't remember if you did it for the first movie. Are you going to do them for all five movies on your podcast? Eventually, I'll, 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 I'm sure I will get around to it. Though. I think if I ever do Planet, it will have to be like the whole podcast. That would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then uh but I I'm I'm friends with Lou Wagner. I think I could get Lou Wagner to talk about it. Uh and then uh and then um yeah, it it would be it would be like a whole uh it would be like a whole uh I should do it with the 50th anniversary. I well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, man, this is the year to do it, obviously. <laughs> so Yeah. Cool. I, I'll probably do it with the release of the Yeah, I'll have to do it for the summer. I will. That's fun. That's- I love the podcast. Just I, to plug I, the book. <laughs> say it again. Just to plug the book. Yeah, man. Well, and yeah, that's good timing as well, obviously. So that would yeah. be good. But And that's the thing, man. I love the podcast. And I know that your bread and butter and, you know, more importantly, your paychecks are, are coming from these other great projects you're doing, like Stand Against Evil and stuff. And I can appreciate not only when you're writing and creating uh, Stand Against Evil, but also when you've been acting in various things that it's tough to – maintain a regular podcast schedule but it's always great when it when they come out and i subscribe so i'm, I'm always you know happy oh, when i see you. it in my feed and it's like oh thank god there it is excellent you know <laughs> new episode oh, yeah yeah well we it does come out 
it, it's you know we we do have a uh, uh, a, a schedule we come out within the last four days of the month. Okay. Oh, that's uh, cool. It's always within the last four days of the month. That's how we get paid. Excellent. That's very uh, cool. By, by Casper mattresses. <laughs> hey, man, that's cool. And, I and you know, hey, I'm, I'm glad. And I'm glad that, again, you're getting something for it. And I, believe me, as a podcaster with a radio day job, I know how that goes as well. Um, right. Stand Against Evil, I, you know, because also I don't want to – I appreciate your time and I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about oh, sure, the yeah. IFC Let's show. Which, away. It's hilarious, <laughs> man. Two seasons and, and you're working on season three? I'm writing the third season as we speak. Tomorrow I have a, uh, I have a full uh, a story room of what we call – I have a, some writers and we have four, four of the eight scripts – what we call broken sure and uh, we'll be uh breaking the other four tomorrow i'm i'm right in the thick of it and uh yeah i've been this is the i'm very very lucky and i'm very very grateful i've never been busier but that's a good thing i understand well you know it it's great and i love the tone of it i love obviously the comedy is great and you got you know john is it mcginley is that how you say john yeah john C. mcginley yeah. johnny c hilarious and and really i love the look of it and i'm sure and I'm, I'm reasonably certain you've mentioned it on the podcast as well, that you give it that 70s horror yes. movie kind of patina. Uh, that- yeah, it's interesting. I Because I, the, 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 the directors that directed the first season um, are really talented guys, uh, Jack Bishop and Justin Najim. They're really talented. And I said to them, uh, you know, I wanted to have a very retro look. Uh, which they thought of like the eighties, like they were, were thinking stranger things, Freddy Krueger and all that stuff. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going, I'm I'm 10 years earlier. I want it to look like the last house on the left house of dark shadows. Yep. Uh, when Michael calls like all those weird seventies TV movies. (laughs) And, and the, the music is evocative of that as well. The music is done by a, a, friend of mine named Eben Schletter, who people probably know mostly from Mr. Show. Um, oh, wow. And uh, he's just, you know, he's my friend I know who's a composer. Uh, and he's brilliant. Uh, and I gave him the soundtrack to House of Dark Shadows. And I was like, I want it to sound like this. Fantastic. And nailed it. Hilarious. I mean, it's Eben's one of those guys that's like scary, talented. That's excellent, man. No, it's it's funny as hell. And it, and it really does. You know, uh, it's perfect for horror fans and, yeah, especially retro horror fans that are really going to enjoy it. Definitely modern. I mean, it's, you know, it's timeless. And I always loved your elevator pitch, too, of what if my dad were Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah, that was basically that was basically (laughs) the idea. That was that was basically just to to keep it to keep it short and sweet. That was the that was the premise. And what's so funny is it takes so long to get the simplest idea. In what way? You know. You know, you'd think I'd have come up with this thing 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, it took uh, it took that long. Uh, and eventually uh, I was like, oh, yeah, what if I just do what if I just do this? And um, it worked out. Uh, it worked out. So I was very happy. But uh, um, uh, it, it was one of those things where it had been looking me in the face for so long I couldn't see it. I understand. No, I understand. Are, you know, you did a great um, documentary about the the old uh, horror shows. Uh, yes. Like you know that that you know started in the fifties 
And, you know, people like Sven Gulli now, modern day, you know, are doing, right. you know, uh, hosting kind of the, the great monster films and other uh, other kind of fun yes, horror films. The only job I've ever felt qualified to do. <laughs> I, uh, I, I have, you know, it's funny, living in Chicago, I did a short video interview with Sven uh, with Rich Coast uh, about uh, three years ago. And, oh, really? and I'm getting the opportunity to sit down and do a Q&A with him at uh, the Chicago Comic-Con coming up uh, in the in the spring. And, yeah, and, nicest guy in the on the planet. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing, man. And then, honestly, it is so cool because I saw Joel Hodgson go up to him at that show that I shot the video with. And I know you're one of these guys as well. Go up to him and say, hey, man, thanks a lot. You know, you really helped inspire what we do. And the great thing was he's like, and if you don't already know, so many of my West Coast friends, comedians – think you're hilarious and really love what you do. And, you know, as you know, being our age and everything and, and coming from that five-channel world that we all grew right, up in, right. two yeah, UHF yeah, channels yeah. and, you know, the networks, there's a guy that was busting his ass for decades doing the UHF show and, you know, uh, it, oh. and now is so nationally known. And I'm so happy for him because he's such a great guy. Yeah, he deserves all – he deserves every success that he gets. And uh, uh, I'm – Really, uh, again, he's one of those people that like, and, and Joel too. It's like I can't believe that I'm a friend. I'm, I can't believe I'm friends with this guy. Well, again, I mean, hey man, you're part of that comedy mix, and and honestly, um, I remember you doing Barney Fife, you know, 25 years ago. I don't mean to age us, but <laughs> hey man, yeah. and and that's the thing. It's and also, by the way, there's another great essay from your podcast, Ghost of Mister Chicken. And, oh yeah, and it's true. You're right, and it's. Did it, it, was, it was so it was so obvious back then, but again, you don't realize it until somebody plays it out. It's like, yeah, that's a that's a Mayberry episode without Andy. It's true. Did I do the Ghost of Mister Chicken on the podcast? Yes. Oh, I don't remember that. There you go, man. No, it was. Was it on Halloween? I, I th- yeah, I think it was one of your Halloween episodes. And oh, it's okay. Like, oh, either and if not if not as an essay, I know you at least. Maybe with a Rob Cohen or whoever, another guy that helps you collaborate, obviously. On yeah, I probably talked. We talked about it extensively. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's you're right. It's like oh my god, they did. They hired the same townspeople, and I think you said that uh, Griffith was on the set. Um, yeah. Andy Griffith was on the set. Oh yeah, and it might have been with Drew Friedman and Larry Karaszewski because the one thing that I do remember talking about is that movie is like a primer on '60s character actors, like every yes. great television character actor is in that movie it's it's amazing it's You're amazing right. that's true <laughs> yeah that's fantastic it's 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 amazing uh alice kravitz is in that movie <laughs> oh, that's funny from uh from bewitched and everything yeah yeah and i just know the big brassy uh lady with gray hair that um she's yeah, with- Haro taro solomon what's her name again the woman that goes, Haro, Taro, yes, Solomon. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I know her from the Odd Couple episode where she's a maid for yeah. Oscar for two seconds. And that's right. That's right. That's right. Say, again, and, I, and you know, you're, as I've heard you say, your kids make fun of you for watching MeTV because it is where television goes to die as far as the advertisers and the, and the catering audience with the walk-in tubs and the catheters and the second mortgages. And... <laughs> I know. It's a... <laughs> and reverse mortgages. Yes, yes. And... How to get a free phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I I don't remember some of the reruns that that and Antenna TV do. And that's why, like, I'd always heard about My Mother the Car, but never actually saw it. And now I saw it, and it's like, wow, it really was bad. Or It's About Time, the caveman. Uh, which, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's sure. kind of a Planet of the Apes nod to it as well. It's About Time and predated Planet of the Apes as far as. Yeah, predated Planet of the Apes. Astronauts going back to the prehistoric times and everything. Yeah, those shows are just rough, but it is a pleasure to finally see them. 
and see all those other great kind of character actors of the 60s and stuff on these things and the Billy DeWolf's on Good Morning World. The radio show. <laughs> yeah, you see, there you go. I knew I, I knew I spoke your language. There we go, man. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's a it's a pleasure watching this. And I know your fascination with Paranormal. Not to be confused with Billy Van, who hosted the House of Frightenstein. I don't know that show. Fantastic. And, and was later a member of the repertory cast of the Sonny and Cher show. <laughs> Along with, I believe, Michael Keaton and David Letterman later. Wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> or the, they were on some show. They were on like the, the new Laughing or the new something. So who was your um, horror host in Boston? Uh, we had two. We had uh, we had a couple. We had uh, Feep, who was a uh, like an alien. Sure. It was a guy. It was a. It was no face to it. It was a weird alien thing. Then we had um, it was the it was the Ghoul or Goulardi, early seventies. Okay. So I'm not sure. Uh, syndicated. And then uh, we just had Creature Double Feature, which didn't have a host. Okay. Okay. Because, yeah, we had uh, we had the original Svengoolie, of course, Jerry G. Bishop, who was kind of right. a zombie hippie for people uh, that are right. younger yeah. than Oh, us. that's familiar. Oh, and I'm hip. I'm saying it for my audience and everybody kind of describing him compared to the way uh, Rich does Sven and everything. But, uh, right, right. And then we... I love, but I love that story that Rich tells. Uh, he basically like, gave Rich the character. It's so sweet. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man, and and kind of amazing that yeah, Bishop went to like the West Coast, and you know, I I, I know he died. I want to say really not that long ago. I think in the early two thousands he passed. Away. No, he just passed. Yeah, he he didn't uh, pass that long ago. Yeah. yeah. So no, I'm really excited to be really sitting down for a nice hour with Sven and everything. That's going to be great. Yeah. So before we wrap, I wanted to ask about you know the experience of writing on The Simpsons because that's really a great portion of your career behind the scenes, and you know. What was it like? What did it teach you? Did it, you know? Obviously, I'm sure it helped you as a as a writer, not only for your stand up, but certainly in the scripted TV as well. Oh yeah, no, I learned how to be a writer. Uh, I learned how to be a writer there, uh, and that absolutely applies to my stand up as well. Um, I often like you know starting your work on The Simpsons is uh, an incredibly daunting. Uh, there's a scene. Have you ever seen the documentary "Let It Be," the last Beatles oh, documentary? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a scene where Billy Preston comes in and he's going to play. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, 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 that's how you feel <laughs> uh, when you walk in. Uh, uh, you just feel like, oh, okay, I'll just play with these guys. <laughs> I'm sure it will be fine. Uh, that's how, that's how it, that's how it felt. Uh, I was just incredible. I mean, I knew, uh, two people on the staff, but, uh, I definitely was intimidated beyond all description. You don't want to be the guy that screws up the Simpsons. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it was also like, you know, 11 Harvard guys and me, I- uh, <laughs> But uh, and it took I like to say it took about nine months to figure out what I call like the the algorithms of how you write the show. Sure. Uh, and how the comedy works. It took me a good stretch of time. Uh, but once I got it and um, I settled in, I, I I found that I had a I liked it. And during that, you know, it, it ties to, you know, your life. Um, 
it was right when I had uh, gotten married. It was we bought our first house, and it was great. Uh, having started to do stand up, I started doing stand up when I was seventeen. Wow! And now it was uh, two thousand, so I was um, about thirty six, and. It was really like the first regular job that I had. I would get up in the morning and I would drive to work and go to my office and drive home at night and watch TV with my wife. And I my I didn't wasn't on the road every other weekend and and for that period of time it was really great. I really loved having a different kind of life um and learning how to do that. And and then I found over, you know, after about 6 or 7 years I just got restless. I just wanted to do other things. And I really did miss performing live. Not that I ever stopped doing it, but uh, it, it you can only do it as kind of like you're definitely a dilettante. Uh, and uh, I missed being able to really do it. Uh, so, you know, I felt like I did what I could do and uh, I was ready to do other things. And, that, and that's when I left the show, but it was never – out of lack of love or respect for the show, it was just I was ready to do some other stuff. That's cool. Well, That's cool. and again, I mean, it's amazing, especially you know, I'm I'm in my early fifties now, and it's I'm at that point where I'm getting to do different projects, and it's yeah. and it's really fun, and I and I obviously I sense you're enjoying the same thing and being able to work on the stand up, have some dates, but then also get back to Stan and 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 write for that. And again, developing the new show—that's that's terrific. So it's it must be very empowering to kind of be able to kind of call your shots and uh, do what you want to do at this stage of your life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I you know, I have a lot of kids, so I can't really <laughs> do what I want to. Do. But I'm lucky that uh, I'm I'm very very lucky that I get to work in in these areas that I like. And 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 it is. I mean, it's it's a it's a cliche, but. It is true, you know, just writing what you know and for a lack of a better term, and I'm sure there is one, but like following your bliss, like I, you know, I just do this stuff because I like it and eventually it, that world will open up to you, you know, the, yes. the, and, and writing what you know is such a huge, uh, piece of advice. I know, um, you know, the, the, the worst writing I've ever done is like second guessing what I thought the market wanted uh, or, you know, some assignment that I had no connection to. Mm -hmm. um, once you get into uh, an area that is sort of like your area of expertise, that's when you can really do something great. Uh, we all have those areas, whether it's politics or sports or baseball or sci-fi movies or, or horror movies or what have you. Everybody has – uh, that sort of creative river that runs through them that gets them excited. And uh, uh, the closer you can stick to it, the better off you are. I always appreciate having guests on like yourself and a lot of cartoonists are able to talk about how they've been able to kind of take control over their uh, careers and not only work for a DC or a Marvel or a Boom, but also be able to, you know, kind of make their own stuff. And on your podcast, I've heard you kind of give that same advice. And I know you were quoting somebody else, but it really was kind of a good reality check where you're like, hey, if you want to star in something, make it and star in it. Don't expect someone else to pay for it and give you the opportunity to do your passion project. You really have to like kind of take control and do it yourself. And like I said, I've been having this conversation with a lot of my guests for a long time and it really was reassuring to hear you kind of have that same philosophy. 
Yeah, and the other thing that I remember that I uh, uh, you have to really remember, and you know, you have to read about, you know, like the the, the sh- they never stop serving the shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> the powers that be. Yeah, you know, I, I um, you know, again, one of these people that like I can't believe is a friend of mine, but uh, John Landis uh, awesome. was telling me that like. Yeah, I made Animal House, and then I made the Blues Brothers, and then I wanted to make this cheap little werewolf film, and they went, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah, it's exactly. American it's like, Werewolf in London, okay. obviously. Yeah, yeah, but he had to fund it. You know, he had to go find funding Universal and pay for it, you know. And I didn't realize like, that. That's amazing. made the two most profitable comedies in history. Yeah, sorry, pal. You're out of luck. Wow. And Trailers from yeah. Hell is just this weird little fun thing that he and Dante and all these guys have kind of come up yeah. with. And, and that's a, a great little thing that's living online and everything and, you know, is kind of a, a lot of fun and great, uh, interesting hearing these filmmakers talk about these movies and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just, you know, fam- uh, all of those things that we love, Famous Monsters Magazine, uh, what Daphna and Gavin do at Boom. Uh, you know, it's just that's the great thing about being in the arts is that you get to you get to live in in what you love. You know, uh, I have a lot of friends uh, or people that I know uh, in this business that are uh, uh, so much richer than I will ever be uh, because they their passion is a, accumulating money. Uh, but that just seems like a terribly uh, joyless existence to me. Understood. Yeah, man. No, I agree. And again, I think when you reach this point in life and everything, it's like, yeah, you turn the stuff down that might make money because you really want to do what you want. And I'm glad that you're, again, able to follow those pursuits. Are you going to be on the comic convention circuit at all? For, yeah, for I was going to go to, what is it, CE32? Oh, you're coming and, to Chicago, C2E2. Well, I was going to come this year, oh. but it is... The week of my – I was going to come because, one again, <laughs> one of my many ridiculous side projects is uh, Janet Varney from Stand Against Evil and I uh, have developed a, a live staged reading of Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> I've heard you we promote do. it, yes. Yeah, and it's really an amazing show. Thanks to Ed Wood more than anyone. Here, here. <laughs> um, uh, and we were going to come and do it, but unfortunately this year – it is the uh, same week as my children's school vacation. Okay. And so dad is not going to a convention in Chicago. Absolutely. <laughs> dad, is, dad is taking them where they want to go. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I look forward to, I look forward to doing it. And uh, I, I would love to come to a convention and do some kind of show or performance. I don't want to just. Um, uh, right. Do uh, a panel it'd be or just do a signing or whatever. Yeah, I understand. I'll have to do anything. I'm I'm hoping to do a lot with the with the book. Uh, I'm really the fact that I am even in this tiny microscopic way uh, affiliated with the Apes Canon is is surreal. And to be the the whole idea of the spine of a book that says by Rod Serling, adapted by Dana Gould, is <laughs> surreal to me. It's it's. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of him. I have it on my desk. As an inspiration to go back to work and not fart around on eBay all day. Understood. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, he was he was one of my real heroes, and the fact that I'm even tangentially connected to him in some bizarre way is is really 
astounding to me. I, it's really astounding. I understand, man, and I and I like constantly look for his UCLA speeches that he gave. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know things like that. Of course, is a wonderful Mike Wallace interview pre Twilight Zone. Yeah. Do you ever see the photo of him? I, I see it. It comes up on Tumblr a lot. It's him giving a speech, but he's smoking a cigarette in the spotlight, and he looks like Sinatra. <laughs> no, I but it's Rod Serling giving a speech. It's really crazy. <laughs> that sounds great. That's yeah. excellent. You know who I'm like? Again, you go down these rabbit holes, as I'm sure you do, and it does keep you from. <laughs> I live in a rabbit. I, I believe me, I understand. Um, I was w- watching and listening to a lot of these UCLA talks, and you, the guy who created a little Abner, Al Cap. And, you know, yeah. and I'm sure you know him from, you know, berating John and Yoko in bed during the bed in and everything. Yes. Um, man, in this Harvey Weinstein. You know what? He's kind of right. What's that? He's kind of right. Kind of. But, you know, and, and honestly, a really interesting guy. And I don't know how much you know about him, but has this Harvey Weinstein history where. Oh, yeah. No, he was a he was a terror. Yeah. Well, all those right wing guys were awful, were awful. But but I do, you know, as you. You 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 get older, you realize that a lot. Of, like I can see how people thought John and Yoko were annoying. <laughs> oh yeah, well yeah, and I mean, and I forget the name of the woman uh, journalist that's like you know. Yeah, I know that one where she where he goes, you know, maybe we'll save someone's life, and she goes, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got you. Gonna be like, she's kind of right. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, but but at the same time as well, not really understanding where he's just coming from in terms of yeah, hey, man. Is there anything wrong with just kind of maybe let's not kill today? As as Kurt yeah yeah no, absolutely absolutely <laughs> absolutely but but yeah so any well listen hey man I've I've taken up of enough of your time I hope uh, I hope we have the opportunity to do this one uh, uh, down the road for a different project or whatever uh, I really I really appreciate the podcast and really excited for the Apes graphic novel uh, Planet of the Apes Visionaries I believe is the yeah as as am I as am I <laughs> I'm still writing. <laughs> Well, good luck with the deadlines and very uh, excited about season three of uh, Stand Against uh, Evil. Yeah, thank you. Stand Against Evil. Yeah, it'll premiere in um, November 1st, 2018. Oh, man, that's on right on the dot, just like, uh, like before, right around Halloween. Just in, time. just in time to miss Halloween. Oh, that's <laughs> They'll do the marathon of the, the previous season. That's all right. That's, that's right. Too that's much. Right. Now, thanks for your time, man, and, and, and really continued success, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Hey, man, my, my pleasure. Thank you very much. There you go, Dana Gould. I'm so sorry that uh, Stan versus Evil didn't make it beyond three seasons, but three seasons is good. Hell, in this uh, in television streaming environment with so many things to watch, uh, I think uh, Dana and company did just fine. And it was a blast of a series. If you haven't seen it, it's very funny. It's very authentic, as I said in the interview. Uh, and also, read uh, Boom Studios' adaptation of Planet of the Apes, the Rod Serling screenplay that Dana wrote, Chad Lewis drew. It was a, a great great series, or I should say great graphic novel, Um, and of course the Dana Gould Hour. Check out his podcast every month uh, wherever you find podcasts. It's hilarious, and it's usually two or three hours long. Always worth the wait. Always entertaining. He does a deep dive and examines a movie or a film career or some sort of phenomenon along with uh, great interviews and very funny conversations with comedian friends and also... uh, Great people from the movie and television business, and music business for that matter. Dana Gould, hope you enjoyed today's show. All brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Uh, What can I say? They're closing out uh, October with uh, really great stuff. Whether it's uh, You Are Obsolete, Issue 2, 
or uh, The Stronghold Volume 1, the first collection of uh, Phil Hester and Ryan Kelly's amazing series. The debut of Shoplifters will be liquidated. I uh, think uh, uh, Judge Dredd working for Amazon. Uh, that, that, that should intrigue you enough. There's Elliot Royale's uh, new Midnight Vista, issue 2 came out. The collection of The Last Space Race, a fantastic look at, uh, you know, the as it says, The Last Space Race, the space race as it is uh, in the near future. Ten minutes from now, as people like to say. Peter Galloway's uh, excellent series that's uh, just getting underway. There's Cullen Bunn's Knight's Temporal, number four, uh, a great uh, series. Jimmy Bastards, the complete collection from Garth Ennis and Russ Brown. You got Marguerite Bennett's uh, graphic novel, Horde. Dark Ark After the Flood, issue one. Uh, Dark Red, Tim Seeley's wonderful series, continues with issue seven. Wando's series, Bad Reception, continues with issue three. There's A Walk Through Hell from Garth Ennis and Gordon Suzutska. Uh, Volume 2, The Cathedral, is out this month, along with Animosity 24 from Marguerite Bennett. Just some of the great books that came out this month in October from Aftershock Comics that are worthy of your attention. Uh, you know, hey, march right back to your comic store. Check out some of these wonderful books from Aftershock. We'll be talking to more Aftershock creators. In fact, Steve Orlando is back with a new Aftershock project that'll be coming out in the spring. And, of course, uh, we also uh, acknowledge uh, Steve's wonderful Aftershock series, Dead Kings. But uh, that's going to be the next word balloon. But you don't have to wait. Go to their website. You can read about Dead Kings. Uh, the collection there, Hard Road, Home, uh, along with uh, these other series that I mentioned. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. All right, thanks again for listening. Thank you, League for of Word Balloon listeners and your support via Patreon. Uh, I can't uh, thank you enough as we close out October for your continued support. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon or click on the Patreon ad on the front page of WordBalloon.com. November is uh, coming, uh, starts tomorrow, and I've got uh, new material all ready to start the month off, and I'll be presenting it with you. My uh, conversation with Steve Orlando is going to kick off October, or pardon me, November, as uh, we talk about his Wonder Woman annual and uh, great work on Gotham City Monsters. It's kind of a bleed over of Weird Balloon, if you will. Can't help it. Uh, it's uh, that kind of season. And I have a feeling people are going to, even though it's early November, might still be uh, having Halloween parties just like they did last weekend. So have a great weekend. I will uh, talk to you uh, on Friday with a new Weird Balloon with Steve Orlando. And we will usher in November together. So uh, thank you and uh, talk to you soon. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2019.